0: What's going on everybody? I'm back for another review of some of the fights that went down Sunday night at UFC Fight Night in Austin. I was actually in attendance at this card. It was uh, quite fun to go to. It's the second card I've been to. um, Like I've told everyone else, it's great to watch the UFC on TV, but there's nothing like experiencing it in person. The first time I went was at a UFC... I believe it was, what was it, 169, 189, so, something. It was quite some time ago already. It was the trilogy fight between Ken Velasquez and J- Junior Dos Santos, so that was a pretty stacked card in Houston. It was uh, pretty electric. There is a difference between a card like that, a huge stacked pay-per-view card, and a fight night like this. Obviously, you're going to have more energy, more excitement, more of that adrenaline rush, and just, you know, the production is... is uh, it feels like there's a lot more at stake on those nights rather than a night like last night at UFC Fight Night 126. But again, it's still very exciting. Good to be out there with all the fans and just uh, watch the fights in person. It's it's a different type of feel for sure. So I recommend going out to it and uh, really experience it, experiencing it for yourself if you ever get the chance. But we'll talk about the fights that really held an impact in my eyes at least, uh, a fight that, some of the fights that I thought that there were some interesting things that came out afterwards, uh, and you know, what guys are interesting going forward and whatnot, so let's start out with the main event, we'll go with Donald Cerrone versus Yancy Medeiros, this was a really good back and forth fight in that first round, it seemed to me that Donald was very much comfortable, and was able to get into a a little bit of a rhythm early on. Yancey was was hitting him a couple times as well, but he hurt Yancey earlier in the round, and then Yancey got back up, and they hugged it out. And I didn't really think about this at the time, but I think there is something to the fact and to the effect that Yancey was a little bit too much buddy-buddy with Cowboy, a guy that... You know, if you make him comfortable in there, that's the worst thing you can do. Cowboy, when he's most comfortable is when he's most dangerous. When he's most relaxed is when he's most dangerous. When he's not really fighting with emotion in the sense of being angry, there he is kind of fighting with emotion. He's happy. He's If he's got that type of emotion going on, he's just enjoying himself, having a good time, that's exactly when he's at his best. If he's angry, if he's got something to prove or, you know, a little bit tentative or scared, Uh, things of that nature, like, you know, you may have seen in the Rafael DeSantres fight, where he maybe put too much pressure on himself, wasn't having as much fun out there. In the Nate Diaz fight, he was pretty angry with Nate Diaz, and I think he let the mind games get to him quite a bit. When he fights like that, it can be a much easier task to get in his head, really disrupt his game plan, and, of course, you have to be a great fighter in order to still come away with the victory, but... For Yancey, it's not that that was the end-all be-all, but you set yourself up to be facing a tougher opponent when you you uh, you know, when you pay him that respect and you really make it as fun as he did for Cowboy. At the end of the day, Yancey ended up uh, knocked out, and right at the end of the round, 458 remaining in the round, he, he got dropped, and then Cowboy went in for the finish with a couple punches on the ground, but it was just pretty apparent to the ref that Yancey was done done for, and uh, they stopped it at that point in time. was kind of hoping it would go in the second round just to see some more action, but it was good stoppage nonetheless. No one's complaining about that for sure. So for Cowboy, this is a a fantastic win for him. I mean, he's got to be happy coming off of those three straight losses in which he lost to—who was it that he lost to? I know he lost to Masvidal. He lost to— Robbie Lawler and then in his last fight he lost to Darren Till by TKO and two of those those losses were via TKO which he hadn't suffered one of those since 2015 so for two two of those losses to go that type of way is not good for him obviously with his uh, he is getting older he's 34 years old at this point in time he's had a lot of fight mileage he's tied for the most wins in UFC history, so that was pretty cool to see last night. Definitely so with George St. Pierre and Michael Bisping. Two legends of the sport. Cowboy is just another another legend in that class. He's 33-10 and 10 overall, so he's got 43 fights professionally at least. So that's pretty impressive, but You know, to see him come back, be able to take a couple shots, and you know, throw it back himself, get a nice win over a guy like Yancy Medeiros, who's a fan-friendly fighter. I thought this was a perfect main event matchup for him, him being an Austin, and you know, having the Cowboy moniker uh, fit really well. So this was just perfect for him. Now he's talking about going back down to 155, and he called out Habib Nurmagomedov uh, in a little bit of a playful way. I mean, serious about going after him, but. Nonetheless, wasn't saying, like, that's absolutely the next fight he wants. Uh, he does want to go back to 155, says the boys at 170 are a little bit little bit too too big for him. He thinks a 165-pound division would be perfect. I think that for Cowboy, a guy like Cowboy, that would be a perfect division. Not sure if he would be the champ. There would be a lot of competition that would uh, go into that 165-pound division, but I think for his body, it would be perfect for him. But unfortunately, doesn't look like we're getting that anytime soon. So, If Cowboy does decide to go back down to lightweight, I mean, there's tons and tons of good matchups for him, Uh, tons and tons of intriguing matchups. You could do, you know, potentially Dustin Poirier versus Cowboy Cerrone. Should he win or lose against Justin Gaethje? If Gaethje were to win, you know, maybe you could do Gaethje versus Cowboy. That would be a phenomenal fight. You could do Kevin Lee versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Um... You know, Nate Diaz is looking to come back. I mean, if he wants to fight against a big-name guy, I mean, why not do Nate Diaz versus Cowboy Serrani? I know Nate's shooting for the stars in terms of trying to get Tyrone Woodley or some of these other guys, but I wouldn't mind seeing that fight either. So somewhere within that range, I mean, you've got your Michael the as of the world, Benil Darius, James Vick, but uh, I'd like to see Cowboy get a little bit bigger of a name right now. Um, he doesn't have a lot of time left, you know, being 34 years old, I mean, who knows, maybe he could fight for another five years, but with the type of fight mileage that he has in his career, along with his age, you know, being a lightweight, it's tough to age well, and, uh, and and still be at the elite of the elite, so if he can do that, that's, that more power to him, but, you know, there's only one guy who I've really been seen lately really age really nicely, and just continue to stay at that elite top level, um, Performance, which is Frankie Edgar, and so it, it is a little bit of an anomaly. I think those guys in those light, lighter weight classes, once you start to creep up in age, it's not like the heavyweights where you can afford to be 39, 40, uh, 35 years old. It starts to get a little bit worrisome once you get to this part of your of your career for these lighter weight classes for sure. But nonetheless, was a great performance by Cowboy um, for Yancy going. Going forward, I mean, this is the type of fights that Yancey should be looking for. I mean, I know that Cowboy, he's not going to have a guy like that next, but, I mean, he's fought Alex Oliveira, Eric Silva, Sean Spencer. He lost to Francisco Trinaldo, has a win over John Mcdessey lost to Dustin Poirier. So, you see when he gets up to these top-level guys that are ranked, uh, Trinaldos, the Poiriers, the Don Cerronis. He's got Jim Miller as a loss on his, uh, on his record. He's got... Uh, some hobby love as when he was coming up as a loss on his record, right? Um, these are tough matchups for him. So g- get him another top 25, top 20 type opponent. Let him be entertaining again. See if he can, if he can get a win. Give him another top 15 type opponent and see if he can work his way into that top 15, top uh, 10 type territory. He's extremely entertaining, a lot of fun to watch, but still does have some. Uh, key aspects of his game that he needs to work on for sure. The next fight was Derek Lewis versus Marcin Tabura. So Tabura did a good job of getting uh, Lewis on the ground a couple times. Wasn't able to really do a whole lot with it. I thought that Lewis would tire out quite easily from being controlled on the ground. I actually thought that Derek Lewis's performance indicated that he had some improvement in his conditioning. I know that sounds a little weird. He still wasn't super conditioned, but I feel like in other past fights he would have been just absolutely taxed at that point in time in the third round. It would have been really hard for him to stay active to get up from that takedown that he uh, was suffering against. I mean, he had been taken down a few times and was really trying to work hard to get back up to his feet. Once he was able to get back up to the feet... He turned against the cage, had Marchine right in front of him, and uh, Marchine just ate two, two or three too many punches right there. Uh, you know, Lewis with the left and the right, and then followed up with some vicious ground and pound as well. It was over from, from that time, uh, at that point in time. Early on, you could tell that Lewis, when he was landing against Marchine Tabura, it was definitely affecting Tabura, and he was wanting no part of it, so he definitely took him down early in the rounds, tried to control him throughout most of the rounds, and when he wasn't on the ground, Tabura was definitely looking to, you know, keep his distance, stay as far apart of as- as far apart as he could from Lewis until he decided that he was going to shoot in and uh, either get him against the cage or get him down to the ground. So, smart game plan by Taburo, just was not able to keep it going all the way through the third round. It looked like Taburo had a shot at winning this fight, sm- fight most definitely. So, impressive for Derek Lewis to come back, get the knockout. I mean, it, it's really true. I mean, even in person, I mean, it's, it's incredible how just how powerful Derek Lewis is. If he can just continue to get better at, you know, his ground defense, at, you know, not being taken down, he can continue to improve his cardio, because I did see a little bit of improvement in that area. I mean, this is a guy that can be very, very dangerous for just about everybody in this division just because of the sheer power. It seems that he's able to take that power into the third and later rounds. That's pretty impressive, too. I mean, not all heavyweights, not all heavy hitters are able to do that for so for him to do that, I thought it was a big win by Derek Lewis right there. So um, showing off his skills. So as far as what's next for him, he was calling out for, you know, give give him a Curtis Blades a for Buddha Silver Doom, Francis Nganu. I think this is a no brainer here. You know, you wanna give I think Francis Nganu and Derek Lewis are two of the heavyweights that you could really do a lot with in this division. Ngannou has real star potential. Derek Lewis has a different type of star potential. More of that cowboy star potential. Ngannou has that... um, He's got that George St. Pierre, John Jones type star power potential, right? So there's three types of star power potentials, in my opinion, in mixed martial arts. There's the Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey star potential, which is mainstream. You've got... You you are as popular as it's going to get in the UFC. Then you've got the John Jones, George St. Pierre popularity, which is you are as good as those guys at the top. You're uh, huge, huge stars. You've got some mainstream appeal for sure, but you're not all the way there quite yet. And then you have the Cowboy Cerrone uh, star attraction, which in my opinion is that you're an absolute legend with MMA uh, fans, of course, but you never really hit that mainstream, even as much as a George St. Pierre, John Jones did, right? But you're very popular. You're good for a certain number of pay-per-view buys, of course, and, or ratings, especially when you get on TV. These guys, Donald Cerrone, those type of guys, they're very important, especially when it comes to ratings and being able to headline fight nights and things of that nature. You see it on Foxes and being a supporting cast on a pay-per-view, whether it be a co-main event or a feature bout something of that nature. So for me, I think Francis Ngannou has that uh, George St. Pierre type potential of being a star, right? He's from a different country. He's just humongous. He looks like an action figure. He's got huge, huge power. Um, you know, he's he's getting better with his English. I think he's a little bit of an, an enigma. He's still young enough as well right now, and he could really knock rattle off some huge, huge wins in the heavyweight division and fulfill that potential. On the other hand, Derek Lewis is kind of more in that Cowboy Cerrone. He's a little bit uh, quite blue-collar. He's uh, a little bit graphic with his comments last night, you know, talking about going deep on his uh, on his wife, so it was pretty pretty hilarious. The things that he says are, are hilarious and very entertaining. I don't think he's got the type of look that would, you know, cross over into that main star attraction as a Ronda Rousey or even a George St. Pierre or John Jones would, but he could be a very entertaining fighter for the UFC. So I think that you put these two guys together, Derek Lewis has suffered suffered some losses in his career. and Ganu coming off his first loss in the UFC. And you see, okay, who's able to recover or really able to make that next step and say, okay, yeah, I've had some setbacks here or there, but I'm still right here in the lead of the division. I'm ready to become your star. I'm ready to take that next step. So, I think that's a perfect fight. They both called each other out on separate occasions. They both talked trash to each other. So, that's been quite... So that would be a good back and forth to see for sure. Um, I would have no problem seeing that fight happen. I think it'd be very entertaining, and that's a marketable fight that you could put on as a main event of a fight night, potentially. You could also put that on as a uh, co-main event of a pay-per-view card, or that would be a fantastic feature fight. So any of those options for Derek Lewis versus Ngannou, I think those will work uh, perfectly. So yeah, that would be a great fight to uh see next, so um as far as that goes, that's about all I have for that one definitely though Derek will still still needs to continue on his wrestling defense and grappling defense but uh th- there's no secret there it seems like he will continue to um go forth in those efforts for sure um as far as Tabura goes, it looks like he'll fall down the ladder a little bit um unfortunately, he's not someone that's really uh two super popular. He's lost his last two fights to Fabrizio Verdum and Derek Lewis, so he's just got to get back on the horse and see if he can get some exciting fights around him, get some some buzz around him before he makes another run at some of these top ten opponents. So let's go to the next fight. James Vick versus Francisco Trinaldo. This was a good fight. Uh, fight matchup going into it. I thought it was a little bit lackluster of a fight. First round was very good. I thought there was a good amount of action. Trinaldo was able to get on so in inside the range. He was able to be effective at times with Vic. It, um, but Vic was just doing a really good job of fighting long, fighting high, and uh, really using his, his his height to his advantage, using his long limbs. Was, uh, did a great job in outstriking Trinaldo uh, immensely in the kicking area, very much so. He had Trinaldo hurt very briefly in that first round. Second and third rounds were really hard to score after a pretty dominant first round win over for uh, James Vick, but I thought that Vick w- did enough to at least get one of those rounds um You know, there just wasn't a whole lot of action going on. Ended up in a 29-28 unanimous decision victory for James Vick. Thought it was a correct... Victory for the correct uh, scorecard for him and for that fight. I thought this was a disappointing performance, unfortunately, for James Victor. He fought a really tough guy in Francisco Trinaldo This guy has been in the game for quite some time in the lightweight division. Good to see a 14 next to his name. I thought that was a really well, de- uh, really deserved ranking for him. A guy who's never been just an absolutely exciting, outstanding fighter. Someone who's not like. Doesn't have a lot of fanfare around him, but he's a guy that you absolutely respect. He's a tough out for just about anyone in the division. If you can get past Ronaldo, then you know that you're good enough to be within that top 20, top 15 type uh, you know, comp- competition at least. So, for Vic, though, it seemed like he was trying to prove that he was already past that point in his career where he didn't really need an opponent like Francisco Trinaldo to prove that he was at this level. I mean, since his UFC run, he defeated Ramsey Nizram, uh, Valmir Lazaro, Nick Hine, Nick Hine Jake Matthews, that's a good win on his record, Uh Franca, I believe. He then lost to Benio Dariushin uh, by KO. He then defeated Abel Trujillo, Marco Polo Polo Reyes, and then had a great win over Joseph Duffy by TKO, and now has a unanimous decision victory over Francisco Trinaldo. So he has a good resume right there um, in his career, but then he was saying, you know, had a good promo after being in Texas, had a lot of fan reaction to a positive fan reaction towards him, and uh, he said that he's tired of calling these guys out. He really wants to fight, you know, the Norma Gamadovs, the Fergusons, and the McGregors of the division. Just don't see that happening at this point in time. I could see, uh, like, a Michael Chiesa-type fight happening. I think that's a good matchup right there. I think that that would be a, a fun fight to watch for sure. If he can get a matchup like that, actually be impressive in victory, then I think you start to talk about, you know, does he fight a Kevin Lee, a Justin Gaethje, a, a, a Dustin Poirier, uh, Edson Barboza, some of those guys. And But this performance, unfortunately for Vic, I don't think, you know, really did what he set out to do, which was be very impressive, say, I should have been the main event of a card in my home state of Texas, not cowboys I should be the guy on, on the top of this building, billing. I'm way better than the guy like Francisco Trinaldo. He did say that he dislocated or broke or something Something with his pinky, I believe he said dislocated it, had to pop it back in, so he wasn't really able to use it too effectively. That may be the case, but it just wasn't the result he was exactly looking for other than the fact that he he does go home with a win. It doesn't hurt him in that respect, but he did not gain a lot of traction, a lot of buzz around this fight, as I'm sure he was hoping to, had he been able to finish off that fight in that first round. A guy that was able to come out with some nice... um. Momentum around him was Curtis Millender defeating Tiago Alves by KO with a knee. This was a nice, nice KO here. Good performance by Curtis Millender. He stayed really patient in this fight. Tiago came forward, was you know in his face the whole time, but he really did a good job of just keeping his distance, not really worrying too much about, um, not really worrying too much about. Tiago getting into range and he just made sure to stay at his range and uh, he did a good job uh, finding his distance early on he was able to hurt Tiago uh, a couple of times early on in the fight and then when it came to that second round he finally got that step through knee and just blasted him with it in the first round Miller had it finished on the ground he had him with a couple of nice punches and then he just backed up with put his arms in the air and uh, thought that the ref was coming in to stop the fight, but that wasn't the case. Second time around, in the second round, he got him with the knee. Tiago went down. Curtis kind of stopped again, was waiting for the ref, and the ref did. hesitate a little bit, but saw that Tiago was looking off in the distance. Didn't really know what was going on when the ref was coming in. Tiago started going to the right side of himself to defend himself, even though that wasn't even the fighter that was coming towards him. So he was definitely in big, big trouble. This is an interesting guy, Curtis Millender. He defeated Nick Barnes, uh, Matthew Frinku. You know, he had a he had three wins in uh, Legacy, I believe LFA. So what is that? The Legacy F- Fighting Alliance, yes. So, and then he also had a win over Johnny Cisneros and Bellator, and then a guy named Ozzy Alvarez and Casey Green. So he's on a 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 fight winning streak. But before, I remember having heard the name and not being too impressed with him. He had fought Brennan Ward and Bellator in his Bellator debut, and he lost by submission. Then he fought Fernando Gonzalez in Bellator, lost by submission. He defeated Steven... Uh, Siaco, Steven Siaco by unanimous decision but then lost in a uh, promotion called Lights Out Lights Out Bash Entertainment Fight Night um, to Eddie Mendez by unanimous decision. So this wasn't a guy that I thought would ever get to the UFC with some of the poor performances he had in Bellator and outside of the UFC. It seems to be to me that You know, with a little bit of time, with a little bit of more training, with a little bit more experience, he's been able to find a niche here or, like, what he's good at, and he's been able to really figure out how to apply that into the cage, into the octagon as well. He beat Thiago Alves, who no doubt is later in his career, but he was he was the underdog in this fight, and uh, he really put his showed his skills to be very, very good in this fight, so I thought that was a great win by Curtis Millinder. I mean, this is a stacked, stacked welterweight division that he's in right now, so I wouldn't be expecting a whole lot from him going forward as far as you know, a big-name opponent next. You beat a guy like Tiago Alves, and then you're just hoping that they get you someone in the top 25, top 20 of the division, I would say, um, if he wants to go there. He's 30 years old. He's already fought a lot of guys. I see him as a little bit of a vet, even though he hasn't been in the octagon in the UFC too long. So I wouldn't be too afraid to just get him out there, see if he is the real deal or not, because he did have some poor performances earlier in his career, uh, you know, on a big stage like Bellator. Not as big as the UFC, but nonetheless, he didn't perform super well in his Bellator run. Um, Brandon Davis was able to almost put away Steven Ocho Peterson. He won that fight by a unanimous decision. Just going down the card with some of these other guys. Roberto Sanchez defeating Joby Sanchez by a rear naked choke. Lucy Purlova defeating Sarah Moras by unanimous decision. Alex Morano Morono Defeating Josh Berkman by guillotine. And Oscar Pichota, I believe. Defeating Tim Williams by KO. Uh, Just real quick on those guys. Uh, Josh Josh Berkman. Sad to see this. I mean, he's just a guy who is just not at that level anymore. It seems that he's really being taken out the hard way. I mean, this is just insane what his record is in the UFC. He's a guy... Who came back to prominence with his win over John Finch, uh John Fitch in the W in WSOF. He went let's see, one, two, three, f- let's see, one, two, three, four and one in his Bellator run with uh just one loss to Steve Carl, right? But um ever since he got into UFC he lost to Hector Lombard. It was overturned to no contest because Hector Lombard failed a drug test. But then he's lost to Dong Young Kim by submission, Patrick Cote by TKO. He defeated KJ Noons, who's no longer in the UFC, I believe, by unanimous decision. He lost to Paul Felder. He lost to Zach Otto, both by decision. He lost to Michael Prezeris by submission. Lost to Drew Dober by KO. And now he's lost to Alex Morono. By submission. So let's count this real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine fights in the UFC. This is insane. Nine fights in the UFC, and he's only come away with one victory. I mean, I hate to say it about a guy like Josh Berkman, who I, I really do like and respect. I think he was a good fighter at one point in time, WSOF being the pinnacle of his career. But, man, you can't put him out there anymore. I mean, he's losing the guys like Drew Dober and Alex Morono. Um, it, it's 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 a tough sell. I mean, this guy's got to at least be cut from the UFC if he doesn't want to retire. That's that's on him. But um, I definitely would like to see him retire. I don't think he's got much left in the tank. When your record starts to look like 28 and 17, it looks like you've stayed in the game way too long, especially when your age is 37, especially in that lightweight type welterweight type range. Like I said, it's really hard to be an older fighter in those lighter weight divisions. If you're a middleweight, if you're a light heavyweight, uh, a heavyweight, it's not as hard. But once you start getting to welterweight, lightweight, you do have your anomalies. And then, you know, from 145 pound down, it's going to be really tough because just of the speed that you have to have in those divisions. Uh, Berkman is in that position right now where he just does not have it even against some of this lower level competition. So, unfortunately for him, I just think this is uh, the last that we've seen of him. And, um, you know, definitely would like to see him be able to find something else that would be uh, more suitable for his life the rest of the way going. But let's get back to the last three fights that really caught my attention. Carlos Diego Frijada defeated Jared Gordon by TKO Punches. This was a great win by Frijada. I thought this was a guy who had some momentum before he ended up losing the Bidino Darius and Dustin He came into the UFC defeating Colton Smith and Ramsey Nisham in pretty impressive fashion. Then faced two really top guys of the division. He then defeated Olivia Aben mercier and then it looks like I believe he had a two year suspension due to PD's so he had some quite some time off. Came back and fought another guy in Jared Gordon who a lot of people were taking seriously as a real contender or a real prospect a bright prospect in this division and he was able to shut him down er- very quickly and early in that first round. He I believe he kicked a Gordon twice in the groin, unfortunately, in this fight, so it did delay the finish for a little bit of time, but Fijera was on point this whole fight. He wasn't having it on the ground as far as uh, he wasn't letting it really go to the ground, and then he landed some nice shots and was able to put Gordon away with some TKO punches, so I I would say this is an interesting guy to watch going forward in the 155-pound division. Let's see what he can really do with some more uh, fights under his belt and see If he can really stay in shape, keep on training, Um, you know, he's had a lot of time off, so he's definitely fresh, definitely know he would like another fight sometime soon. Um, I don't think he's going to be a world beater in the sense of the top five, but I wouldn't be too surprised if this guy eventually is able to work his way up into that top 20 range where he can be really competitive with really some of the best guys in the world. That's a tough, tough division to get uh, really uh, high in the rankings in, but... Who knows, maybe he can do it. He he does have some good fighting ability and just, he's gonna be a tough out for a lot of guys looking to crack that top twenty, I I believe. Next one I want to talk about is Jeff Neal versus Brian Camosy. Jeff Neal did a great job in this fight, um, you know, winning this over Jeff uh Brian Camosi who was able to to land his fair share of shots in this fight as well. And then once he got the opportunity with Brian Camozzi up against Cage, he was able to just get his his arm in there, and it kind of acted like he didn't really have any hooks in or anything. He just was on to the side where he had him trapped against the Cage, and that was enough for Jeff Neal to get the wins right there. So he was able to get uh, a nice win there, by submission in his home uh, town of Austin, Texas, it's actually from Austin, so I want to make note of that. Interesting guy, I think he's going to be. He's got some good skills, but uh, we'll see where he goes from here. Last fight I want to talk about is Sage Northcutt versus uh, Thiabaut Guti. Uh, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He won by unanimous decision here. Sage definitely showed that he still has a lot of holes in his game. Still got to work on a lot of things, but I think it was pretty apparent here that he is improving on his his ground game as far as his takedown defense and his ability to get up off the mat. He still struggles. There's no doubt about that, but he was really difficult to keep on the ground and to keep on his back. A lot of the times he was just trying to fight against the cage to trying to wall walk a little bit and Every round that he got taken down, he made it so difficult for Guti to actually do any damage or submit or, or threaten with submissions or you know even throw any combinations or things of that nature. He just did not land the, the damage necessary for him to win any of the rounds, even though he was very controlling in some of those rounds, especially the third round in particular. I thought that Northcutt won the first round, Guti won the second round, and then Northcutt in my opinion, won the third round. Even though he got controlled for the majority of it, he won those striking exchanges. I thought that Guti actually should have stayed striking a little bit more. He had some success against Northcutt when Northcutt wasn't really... Uh, when Northcote wasn't being the aggressor, when Northcoat was being the aggressor, not looking to counter so much, I thought that he was lighting Goody up, and that's something that he needs to actually implement going forward. I know that he's got that karate style, and a lot of those guys tend to be counter-strikers, but I think Sage is actually a really good blitzer. I think he's got tremendous speed and a decent amount of power as well. So I think he would almost be better if he fought with a little bit more of a Leoto Machida style rather than a Steven Wonderboy Thompson style. Steven Wonderboy Thompson can be very, very patient and be so pinpoint accurate that he is able to knock out his opponents and then be aggressive. Leoto kind of creates his chaos a little bit more when he come, you know, earlier in his career, you would be S- super fearful of that leoto machida uh, blitz right so it he's n- he's not like either one where i would say oh he definitely needs to adopt that style or this style i'm just saying that if he uses a little bit more of that explosion gets a little bit more aggressive and uh more often in the fight i think that he could really dominate on defeat the problem with that is is that at times when he does do that, he get he has the threat of the takedown because he's coming in on a fighter who's ready to counter with, this, with the takedown. As he gets better with that, I think that it's going to be quite dangerous for his opponents. But you saw in this fight that that's still an issue for Northcutt. But again, like I said, I thought he did a much better job of being able to get off his back or at least be against a cage or make it difficult for someone to actually land any ground and pound or threatened with submissions, because a lot of that third round was just Guti holding on to Northcutt's legs, and then just desperately trying to get his back to the ground. But uh, Northcutt wasn't wasn't having it, into the fight on defeat, and uh, was able to get a, a good unanimous decision victory here. He's still... 21 years old, super young. His second fight at Team Alpha Mel wasn't a super impressive victory here for Northcut, But again, this is a guy who's going to continue to get better should his father allow him. I know that there's been rumors that, you know, sometimes his father kind of takes over the training and, and that's kind of hindering him. But if he's with a team like Team Alpha Mel, I think that that's a really good team to... I don't think that's a perfect team for everyone who's trying to be super diverse. But I think with him having the background that he does have in that karate-type style, right, or taekwondo or, uh, you know, whatever it is that he's doing, I think that that's a good style for him to go, go be a part of that tra- type of training camp because he's going to get the, the skills that are required to be successful when it comes to not only his offensive wrestling but his defensive wrestling. He's also going to be very well trained on some of those submission skills that he can work on, Like, you know, that guillotine that Team Alpha Male is very famous for. They're really good with their rear naked chokes as well. So, I think that those are two areas where he can really benefit from this. And then the third area is, I think he'll just get really good coaching from top level guys, guys that have been around the game for quite some time. If Faber is really true to his word and is, is retired and doesn't get that huge opportunity he said he would come back for, then I think that... He's a good coach, a good mentor for uh, Sage Northcutt. He's very positive like Sage. So I think they mesh very well pers- personality-wise together. So I think that that's a perfect match. And then also just having a team, having consistency, and a direction. Someone to lead them in a direction saying, hey, this is your training schedule, this is how we're going to do it, this is when we're going to do it, and you'll see the results as they come. Again, you got to keep bringing Sage Northcutt along slowly. Um you know, I would give him another two or three guys at this level for him. If he starts to dominate the last, you know, these guys, like, extremely easy, then give him the next step up. Give him another two guys at that next step up. If he's able to pass that test, another two guys at that step up. And by that point in time, um, you know, maybe he's 25 years old and, start, and ready to fight contenders that are in the top 15, top 10. Um, but we're not sure if he's got that potential. He's got tons of athleticism, tons of potential, but can he fulfill that with uh, the skills necessary to to really use, to fulfill that, that potential, or is he just someone that's going to always be a great athlete, but will never be able to figure out how to fight uh, as well-rounded as he needs to be, okay? So, um, that's all I have for today as far as UFC Fight Night 126. Uh, UFC Fight Night Austin, so, again, that was a great card, uh, to be at, it, there was a lot of entertainment, it wasn't a highly stacked card as far as the star-studded power or anything like that, but, uh, you did get some fun moments there with, you know, Donald Cerrone complaining about him not getting, uh, as many cheers as his grandma, of course, we know that story, uh, just joking around there, of course, when, you know, that, that's a great story that his grandmother was there, and, um, a nice moment where Yancey actually hopped the fence and went over to uh, his to Donald Serrano's grandma and embraced her after the loss that he suffered to her uh, her grandson. But also the, the moment of the night, I have to say, Nate Diaz does it again. He steals the moment from everybody. He nearly, he has uh, what appeared to be like a joint or a blunt or something, and he nearly lit it up. He put the, <laughs> it, it was funny at, the, the, during the Steven Peterson fight, it, there was a ruckus down on the floor, and you can see that there was someone really famous. It, it turned out to be Nate Diaz. A lot of people were looking for pictures and, and uh, y- you know autographs and things of that nature. Then he goes to the siege. He disappears for quite some time, returns from the main event, sits pretty close to or next to Valentina Shevchenko. And then they put him on the, the screen, and he puts a joint in his mouth. Uh, has his lighter and, and threatens to light it right in the middle of arena in a state where it's illegal and everything. Just classic Nate Diaz was um, hilarious to see, so that in itself was worth the price of admission, of course. But Nonetheless, uh, good night of fights. There hasn't been a whole lot of news coming out over this past weekend. Obviously, Matt Mitrione defeated Roy Nelson and is advancing in the Bellator Heavyweight Tournament, and uh, he'll be facing the winner of Ryan Bader versus King Mo Lawal. So that should be an interesting fight. I think both uh, Matt, I think that's a favorable matchup. I, I, I like that Mitrione advanced. I think that he matches up better for a potentially more entertaining fight with either of those guys than a Roy Nelson does. At this point in time, I really just think that Roy Nelson... His age is starting to catch up with him and his body is starting to catch up with him. I know that he had a lot of success uh, grappling in this fight, but I, I just don't see the same Roy Nelson that I did in his uh, prime UFC years. So, unfortunate for that, but nonetheless, uh, good weekend of fights. If y'all have any other comments, questions, concerns, uh, any other thoughts on the fights that we went over tonight or today, just let me know at Sabata MMA on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me there. And uh, until then, we'll see y'all next time. We'll see what what uh, fights, fight announcements come on the horizon. And next week, I believe we have UFC on Fox. Let's see, Orlando. Let's see what's on that card r- real quick before, let you, before we get out of here. Um, so, again, one of these things, just briefly. I, I just don't understand what the UFC is doing. I don't know. Some people have speculated that it's a tactic to use against Fox saying, Hey, we can give you... Content like this, where it's not that great. If you want to pay us only, you know, $200 million, but if you want to, you know, bump it up to $500 million per year, then we'll give you what we gave you at first, which was Junior Dos Santos versus, um, Cain Velasquez. We'll give you Rashad Evans versus Phil Davis in a real prime contender fight, right? We'll give you the Chelsea on into the world. These type of guys, you know, of this present day, of course, not from yesteryear, but. Uh, you've got Josh Emmett versus Jeremy Stevens. great featherweight contest right there. Jeremy Stevens has been on fire. It felt like he just fought recently, um, very recently, so, and it and it was. So we'll see what who can come out victorious with that uh, momentum behind them. Jessica Andrade versus Tisha Torres, that's a fantastic women's strawweight title fight right there. You could see the winner getting the next title shot for sure. Uh, no matter who comes out to victor into the J and Jacek versus. The uh, Rose Namajunas fight. You've got light heavyweight is Ovin St. Prove versus Elir Latifi. Honestly, neither of these guys scream out title contenders to me at, at any point of their careers. But this is a really good fight between two high-level light heavyweights in the world. Definitely top ten fighters for sure. So, definitely think this is an entertaining fight that will take place. And then you've got Mike Perry. Platinum Mike Perry versus Max Griffin. I think this is... Uh, really the fight to watch for a lot of people. A lot of people are really into Mike Perry. He had a very interesting interview, and in-depth look into his life um, on the MMA Hour earlier today. He was in in studio. He talked a lot about his life. Uh, Interesting cat. I mean, this is a guy who's been to jail. This is a guy who, you know, when you hear him, a lot of people would say, oh, man, he's just a a hood rat or, you know, he's just, he's stupid or he's dumb. And, you know, listen to the way he talks and and the way he carries himself. He's got tattoos and things of that nature. If you want to learn a little something about Platinum Mike Perry, I think what I've learned in especially being 24 years old and you know not having fully developed as, you know, an adult yet sometimes you have these moments in your life where you understand a lot about yourself but you don't understand everything about yourself and you're trying to find your way you 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 start to understand yourself but you don't have a 100% grasp over it that's kind of what I got in this interview he he's really understanding of what his flaws are he's really understanding of what you know makes him him as far as a fighter, as far as a person, and he's made mistakes in his life, and he seems to have said that he's passed those, and and you really do kind of believe him, and it's very interesting. He's he's a much more intelligent person than uh, you would think just by looking at him or listening, to him, you know, talk trash or something of that nature. Um, I'm not saying that he would go to Harvard and pass all the tests there, or even go to college and. You know, breeze through those classes. I'm just saying that the people that really take time to be self-reflective, self—you um, know—really take time to improve themselves and and be, uh, you know, go that de- that deep on yourself and and figure out like who they are as a person and who they can be if they go this route or go another route. I think that those are really interesting people and those are people that are figuring out who they really are, so he's at a really interesting place in, in his life right now, I suggest watching that interview, and you'll you'll get a little bit of what I'm talking about, but um, he definitely needs to win here after having lost a unanimous decision to Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, then on the preliminary card, you've got Henan Burrell versus Ryan Kelleher, that's an interesting fight right there. Uh, Sarah McMahon versus Marion Renault is going to be a good one right there as well. McMahon's got to come away with a victory here so that she can try attempt to go on one last run to the title. Angela Hill versus Marina Mraz. That is a very good uh, competitive strawweight fight in the women's division. So you've got three really solid women's fights on this card. Ben Saunders versus Alan Band That's for sure to be a very action-packed fight in itself right there, Gilbert Burns versus Olivier Aubin-Mercier, Sam Alvey versus uh, Marcin Prasino. Uh, hani Yaya versus Russell Doan, Eric Shelton versus Alex Perez, and then Albert Morales versus Manny Bermuda. So you've actually got a pretty solid card right there. I think it would be a much better UFC Fight Night card on like FS1. That would be a card that I would be really excited for. But nonetheless, it's UFC on Fox. I wish we were getting a little more oomph to this card. You, you know, get one more fight that could actually be a better co-ma- uh, better main event than Emmett and Stevens, and then put everyone one notch lower. I think that would be fantastic, but uh, that's not what we're getting. Should be a, a very entertaining fight card, and always, as always, it's going to end a lot earlier than the fight nights or the UFC pay per view. So, that alone will be uh, a nice experience for sure. All right, so until then, guys. Um, Might not hear me back until the conclusion of those fights next week. Until then, we'll see you next time. Bye.